I want to uh, welcome you over there at the, the venue. I'm glad you're with us and want to welcome you in here. And those that are listening online, I welcome you. Those that are listening on the radio, I, I welcome you. You know, in the 21st century, there's lots of different ways that we're able to uh, get the message of Jesus Christ out. And it doesn't matter where you're at or how you're listening, we're, we're just glad that you're, you're here. Those of you that are first-time visitors, um, everybody in this room at one time or another was a first-time guest. And we know it can be a little nerve-wracking. You know, we're singing all these songs and, you know, these little baskets are going by and, oh, no, what's going to happen now, you know? And um, we, we've all been through this. I'm just going to spend a little bit of time in God's Word. And all of the verses will uh, come up on the jumbotrons. They're in your notes. Or you can take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 6. It's um, one of those, uh, it's the seventh book of the Bible. But if you don't have one, that's okay. You're going to be able to see all the, the verses on your own. Just want you to know that this Thursday night, um, our worship department... Um, we uh, make uh, CDs, one a year at least, sometimes more. Sometimes it's original music, sometimes it's other music. This Thursday night, we'll have a big choir up here. We're gonna have a great night of worship, and we're gonna record um, a live album. And uh, we want you to be a part of it. And so Thursday night, mark your calendar. Come on down here. It's an hour long. Uh, afterwards, we'll have some desserts out there, and we'll just fellowship together. And... Um, you, you can be a part of just a great night, but also a part of making this new record that will come out in time for Christmas and all that. So Thursday night, I guarantee you, there'll be nothing better that you'll have going on. And just come, and, and we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a great time together. Also, um, I want to just quickly talk to those of you that are our senior adults. Uh, some of you are worried about September 2nd, and are there, you know, is there going to be parking for us? Is there going to be a place for us to, you know, sit? Some of you guys can't get up and down the stairs and all of that. And absolutely, we, we want to honor you. And so right afterwards, you can go right out to the information center and pick up this little card. It says Senior Adult Reserve Parking. And just hand that to the uh, parking lot person out at uh, John Thurman Field. And we'll have spots for you right up front. When you come in, we have a special spot just for you. You won't have to climb any stairs. It'll be right there on the infield and we want to we want to take care of you and, and honor you. So please, we, we want all of our uh, uh, senior adults to, to to be there. If you've got a grandma, a grandpa, someone like that, you know, invite them, and we'll have a special place for them. And then it's just critical, folks, that you buy one of these vouchers. Uh, John Thurman Field is giving us the field for nothing. They're they're, they're taking care of all the parking, and they're going to take care of all the cleanup and all that. It's really pretty amazing what they're doing. The only thing they said was, listen. You can't bring any of your own food in, and so would you just sell these vouchers to your people? And afterwards, we're going to have a great time of fellowship, eating, and all of that. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, I ain't going to hang out afterwards. I ain't going to do it. I'm going to come and sing and hear the word, and then I'm leaving. Look, 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 don't, don't do that, okay? Um, that's just a crummy attitude, and, and, and God doesn't want you just to come and sing a song and hear a message and look at the back of someone's neck for an hour and a half, okay? God's got something far greater uh, in store for you than that. And, and one of the things that's special is when we fellowship together, and so you can buy one or two, or if you're a family of four or whatever, you know, you buy four of these, these little vouchers and you go out there and, and we'll just hang out afterwards and we'll have some music and stuff and bouncers for the kids and hang out for a little bit and be a part of that. So make sure you, you, you pick up those, um, those vouchers. Well... If you are visiting with us, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called Unlikely People, where we're looking at the lives of some of our brothers from the Old Testament, uh, people like Samson, and um, man, he was just one messed up guy. I mean, this guy was a, a bloody mess. The, the, the purpose of the series, the reason why we title it Unlikely People is, is that I think sometimes those of us that name the name of Christ, we can think that you know, the only people that God can use are people that have it all together. Or if you think about some of the Old Testament characters or people in the Bible, you can think, man, those guys had it all together, you know, no wonder God used them. And that's just simply not the, the, the case. The people in the Old Testament, these great characters we're looking at, had the same flesh that you have. They're every bit as screwed up, if not more, than, than most of us in this, in this room. And Samson's a, a great example of that. He was really a messed up guy. He was an unlikely person, and yet God used him in an incredible way. We looked at the life of Jonah. 
Jonah was the guy that ended up in the belly of that big fish. There's a reason why he's in the belly of that big fish, because he just was a disobedient guy. Does that sound familiar? Anybody in here ever struggle with their obedience to, to the Lord? We looked at the life of King David. More is written about the life of King David than any other person in Scripture. The Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he was a murderer and an adulterer, and yet God used him in some incredible ways. Last week, we looked at the life of Moses. Today, we're going to look at uh, a man by the name of Gideon. He's the guy who wrote all the Bibles that are found in the hotel rooms. <laughs> That's just, that, was, that was just wrong. That was wrong. It's just crazy. I'm just kidding. The story of Gideon is, is really cool. Uh, it's a story about how God takes a, a nobody, an unlikely person. In fact, he was really my vision for the whole series. He is the most unlikely person you're, you're, you're going to see in, in the series. And God, it, 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 you know, the whole series is about God taking these unlikely people and he, and he transforms them into leaders. And that's what happens with, with Gideon. He takes this man and he transforms him into a leader for God and for God's purposes. It's really the, the story of how God takes a coward, and you're going to see in a minute that Gideon was just a, a, a coward. He was really the, the Barney Fife, if you will, of the, of the Bible. That, that's my vision of, of Gideon. And uh, he transformed him into a leader for him. Now let me quick, quickly give you a little background to the story, okay? The nation of Israel, at the time that Judges chapter 6 is written, was at one of its lowest points in history. There was this huge evil nation called the Midianites who wanted to wipe Israel off of the map. So the people of Israel were running scared. They were running for their lives. The Midianites are really evil, bad people. They had, they had like really good bows and arrows and spears. You know, they had the best guns, if you will. They had the best tanks. I mean, and they were just ruthless, okay? And they're coming after Israel. And so the people were, were really scared. They were spiritually bankrupt at this period of time. And in my opinion, as I look at America today, America is basically spiritually bankrupt. It's morally bankrupt, and that was part of Israel's problem too, is they were morally bankrupt. Uh, they were economically bankrupt, and that's certainly true of our nation today. They were emotionally and physically and mentally exhausted. And as I look at America today, I, I see that today too here. I see people that are just emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, just doing one thing and the next. It's unbelievable how exhausted we, we, we are today. So the people um, in Judges chapter 6, they cried out to God for help. And God heard their prayers. And how God was going to help them was he was going to send them a, a warrior. He was going to send them a, a mighty hero that would wipe out the Midianites and bring peace to the nation again, and that man was going to be Gideon. But before God could use Gideon, he had to do a little work in his life. God had to transform his life a little. I want everybody to look at verse 11, okay, because verse 11 really is the, the key to understanding the, the, the story of Gideon. Verse 11 says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abazir. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Beloved, the point of threshing the wheat was to get the, the, the chafe out of it. And to get the chafe out of it, you, 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 you had to have wind blowing Usually where you would get the chafe out of the wheat would be up on top of a hill because that's where the most wind blew. And so you would, you know, stick your pitchfork into the thing and throw it up in the air a little bit and the wind would blow and blow the chafe out and all the wheat would land on the ground. There wasn't much wind at the bottom of the hill where a wine press was. But that's where Gideon is. He's at the bottom of the hill 
where there's no wind in this wine press, throwing up the stuff with no wind. It's kind of a pathetic sight if you think about it. None of the chafes being blown out of it, basically. He's scared. He's hiding. He's a coward. He's afraid the, the, the Midianites will, will see him and, I don't know, come and take all of the grain or kill him, you know, kill his family. And so here he is at the bottom of this hill doing this. And there's no wind. Now it's verse 12 that's the mind blower of the story. Verse 11 is the key. Here he is, Barney Fife, all afraid. He's all scared. No wind. Can't get the chafe out of the thing. And then you get to verse 11, and it says this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Gideon, and said, Mighty hero! Some of your Bibles say, mighty warrior. And I'm sure Gideon was looking around going, you know, you, you, you talking to me? Me? You can't be talking to me. I'm a coward. I'm afraid. I, I, I'm not going to go anywhere near those hills. I'm down here hunkered down in this wine press, making a real fool of myself. God isn't mocking him here. God shows up and says, Gideon, oh, you're a mighty hero. You're a mighty warrior. Here's a guy that's afraid of his own shadow. Gideon had all kinds of insecurities, had all kinds of insecure feelings, uh, inadequate, you know, feelings about himself, full of self-doubt, all those things. Some of you probably feel that way, don't you? You, you, you know God wants you to do something. God wants you to, you know, become a part of the choir. God wants you to become, you know, part of the band, but you're nervous, you're scared, right? You feel inadequate. You feel like you, you just can't do it, right? I mean, those people are really good. Hey, I, maybe I ought to be a, one of the singers. I, I really sense God's calling me to do that. But, but boy, you're just hunkered down in the bottom of the hill in a wine press, aren't you? You, you, you know you're supposed to work with children. You just know it. Every time you go by Ohana Island, you know, you just go, oh, man, I know I'm supposed to be there. But you're a little bit nervous. You're scared. Well, what if you blow it? What if the kids don't like you? So you're kind of hunkered down at the bottom of the, the hill in a wine press, aren't you? Some of you know you're supposed to be mentoring a, a teenager. You're supposed to work in our, our, our you know, youth department and love on some kid, right? But you're nervous. You're, you're scared. Well, what if the kids don't like me? Well, what if they ask me a question and I don't have the answer to it? And so you're nervous, you're, you're scared, you feel inadequate, right? And there you are now hunkered at the bottom of a hill in a wine press. Maybe there's somebody that God's wanting you to share your faith with. But you're nervous, you're scared, right? I mean, what if they ask you a question you don't know about? What, what if they call you a loser? What if they call you a hater? What if they call you a bigot? Man, what, what if they don't like you anymore? What if they don't invite you to the, the cool parties anymore? And so you're nervous and you're scared and there you are at the bottom of the wine press and you know God's calling you to do something, right? Look, all of us have probably been there at some moment in our lives where we're scared. We know God's called us to do something. That's Gideon. It's right where he's at. God calls him a mighty hero what, what's going on here? Well, what's God up to? Well, as I said earlier, the story of Gideon is how God transforms a life. It's how God takes an unlikely person and does great things through their lives. And the first thing that God does when he begins to transform a life may be your life. Maybe it's your life today here or over in the venue or listening in your car on the radio or wherever it is. The first thing that God does is he gave Gideon a word of encouragement. 
He's, he's going to transform this man's life, and it begins with a word of encouragement. Mighty hero. Mighty hero. I love this verse. Here's God calling Gideon a mighty hero. You see, God saw something in Gideon that Gideon couldn't see in himself. God, God saw something in that man's life that Gideon couldn't see. Because he was so afraid and he was so scared and there he is worried that the Midianites were going to come. He, he feels like a loser. He feels like a coward. He feels like nobody could use him. He doesn't see his potential. But God did. God saw his potential. And God's going to begin the process of transforming his life. And he begins with a word of encouragement. I want you to know the same thing is true for you. God sees things in your life that you can't see. He sees your potential. He sees things in your life that maybe your parents couldn't see. Maybe your grandparents couldn't see. Maybe you kept hearing all these crummy things about your life. You'll never add up to much, you know. You're just, you're, you'll never be a good athlete. You'll never make the team. You'll, you'll never be able to do this or, or do that. And so here you are today, you know, in your, in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, and you still believe that. You still believe that, man, there's no way that God could ever use me for anything significant. And God's going, no, 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 no. I see something in you you can't see in yourself. And how God begins to draw that out and how God begins to transform your life is, I think it always begins with a great word of encouragement because there's just power in words of encouragement, aren't there? Isn't there just incredible power in a word of encouragement? I mean, haven't we all been in a place where we're all bummed out and depressed and struggling and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And somebody shows up with the right word at the right moment. It could be a telephone call. It, it could be a text, an email, in person. Somebody says something to you that's encouraging. And, man, there's power in that, isn't it? It just, oh, yeah. Man, words of encouragement are so important. I was thinking about how God encourages us today. Obviously, this was an angel of the Lord. Later on in the story, you find out it was the Lord himself speaking. How does God, you know, give us words of encouragement today? Well, I want you to know, I think the number one way is through his word. I think the number one way God encourages you, Christian, is through his word. I know that as I read this story, I was encouraged. Some of you, I haven't even, you know, I read one or two verses and it's encouraging you, isn't it? You see, God wrote this incredible book and man, I think there's so much in there that's encouraging to us. The issue is, are you reading it? Are you spending time in it? You see, Gideon wasn't somebody special that only God speaks to. No, God gave you this. Some of you got five or six of them in your home. The issue isn't how many you got in your home. The issue is you open any of them up and read them. Because it's in these pages here where, wow, God encourages us. I think another way God encourages us is simply through his Holy Spirit. Do you know, and I'm going to say something blasphemous here, you can actually shut the Bible and God can still speak to you. Huh? How can that possibly be? Listen, Christian, the Bible says that as soon as you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he gave you his Holy Spirit. God now lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is quite capable of speaking to you. Apart from this. My question is, do you ever just stop long enough and Turn off your cell phones and, you know, turn off all the electronic equipment. Turn your radio off. Turn the TV off. You know, just, just get alone so that you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
You see, I think one of the things that the enemy does, he keeps us so busy doing this and doing that and good Christian music and iPods and iPhones and, you know, all the stuff. It's just, we just don't, we just don't hear from God. I mean, we literally can just have our mind filled with sound all the time. You literally can wake up to your radio, you know, going, right? And then you go and you brush your teeth and you got music going. And then you get in your car and you head to work. And the music is going. And then you get to work or school and you put your earphones on. The work is over and you get back in your car. You get home. And then you show up in my office and you go, Pastor, I'm just not hearing from God. I, I, I'm just, I, I, I just can't hear the voice of the Lord anymore. I, I, I don't know what's going on. Well, well, I, I got a clue. I'm, not, I'm no rocket scientist, but let me just, have you just been quiet? And most of the stuff you listen to out there nowadays is just crummy. Isn't it? You know, cut off your right leg. Cut off your left leg. Let's dance. You know, I... What does that mean? What does it mean to cut off your right leg, cut off my left leg, let's dance? <laughs> I, I know that's deep and it's heavy and it means something. I just haven't been able to figure it out. <laughs> look, look, my point is, is this. God wants to encourage you. He does. And he wants to use his word and he wants to use the spirit of God that he put within you. Are you giving him time to talk to you? I think another way that God encourages us is through the, the, the tongues of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm often encouraged when I'm with brothers. I'm often hearing, really, the voice of the Lord when I'm with some of my friends and they encourage me. Are, are you coming to men's ministry, guys, where you are able to sit around in a, in, with a group of guys and hear from the Lord and his word and then talk through some things? Ladies, are you involved in our women's ministries where you can sit around and, you know, listen to some message from the Lord and, and then talk with other gals and gals can, you know, in, 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 encourage you? You know, God wants to use you, ladies, to encourage somebody else. And if you're not engaged in the life of anybody else, how can God use you? Guys, same for you. God wants to use some of you guys to encourage other men. The issue is, is are, are, are you in a place where you can do that? Are you involved in, in one of our small groups where you can hang out and, you know, and have some fun and, I don't know, study the word and encourage one another? You see, God speaks to us through his word. He encourages us through his word. He encourages us through the Holy Spirit. He encourages us through the lips of others. Look, I, I think this is important. I think coming together like this and all of us worshiping the Lord together like this is important. I think it's something God wants us to do. But it's not the only thing God wants us to do. He wants us to, to, to hang out with each other, to do life with one another. There's all these one another's in Scripture, and they're not suggestions. They're, they're biblical mandates that cannot play themselves out in this type of setting. You have to get with a small group of guys or a small group of gals, or you have to get, be in a small group, and that's where all the one another's can all kind of play themselves out. Proverbs chapter 25 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. Boy, isn't that the truth? There's just power in our, 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 our tongue. Gideon was looking at one thing. He, he was looking at the Midianites and their weapons and their, and their savagery or whatever, and it brought a bunch of fear into his life, which then made him think like he was a loser or a coward, which then made him act like a loser or a coward. And God shows up with a word. You're not a coward. You're a mighty hero. Proverbs chapter four says this, be careful what you think, right? Because, what, because your, your, your thoughts run your life. 
I shared with you a few weeks ago that when you have faulty, you know, thinking about yourself, it messes up your life, it messes up what God, you know, wants to do through your life. And I think Gideon had, you know, faulty thinking going on in his mind. So the first thing that God did was he encourages him. God says, you're a mighty hero. You're a mighty warrior. Proverbs chapter 29 says, where there is no vision, the, 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 the people perish. And I think in a weird way, God was giving Gideon a new vision for his life that he couldn't see. All he could see was that he was a coward. That was the vision of himself. He was afraid. There's nothing I can do to take on these Midianites. There's nothing I can do. And God was giving him a new vision for himself, for his life. God says, Gideon, you, you may think you're a coward, but I see something way more in your life, way more. Look, here's the bottom line. Many people miss God's plan for their life because they just can't see themselves in that role. They can't see themselves as a leader. And so guess what? Uh, they just sit at the bottom of the hill at a wine press. Now the second thing that God did was this. He assured Gideon that, that he'd be with him. And this is really uh, two different sides of the same coin. I mean, this was also encouraging. Verse 16, the Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you. That's encouraging. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you are fighting against one man. Listen, when God begins to transform your life, when God begins the, the process of making you into a warrior for him, there isn't anything more important to know than the fact that God is going to be with you. Nothing. God says, Gideon, look, man, you're a mighty warrior, and I want you to know something. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. When you leave the bottom of this wine press here, and you take on this, this challenge that I have for you, this assignment that I have for you, I'm going to be with you. And the same thing is true for you, beloved. Whether it's singing in the band or, you know, singing in the choir or working in children's ministry or mentoring a teenager or walking the parking lot and making sure all the cars are safe or being an usher or whatever it is, leading a small group, God says, you're not going to do it alone. You're not going to go in and work with those children alone. I'll be with you. You're not going to mentor that teenager alone. I'm going to be with you. You're not going to sing in that choir alone. I'm going to be with you. You're not going to play that guitar alone. I'm going to be with you. You're not going to go talk to that person about me alone. I'm going to be with you. Not only does God have an encouraging word for us when he's transforming our lives, but he also gives us the assurance that we're not going to do it alone, that he'll be with us. When God gave Moses the task of leading the Jews out of captivity, it says this in Exodus chapter 3. But Moses protested to God. God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? God, who am I to lead the people out of Israel, uh, out, of, out of Egypt? Moses is at the bottom of the hill. He's in the wine press, so to speak. And God answered and said, oh, Moses, I'll, I'll be with you. You're not going to do this alone. When Moses finally died, God gave the responsibility of leading the Jews to, to, to Joshua. And God said this to Joshua in Joshua chapter one. He says, no one will be able to stand against you, Joshua, as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. This is an important concept for us all to, to really grasp. When God begins to transform your life, when God begins to, to do something in your life, when God begins to make you into a leader for him, look, he'll encourage you. And he'll also assure you that you won't do it alone. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended to the Father. It says this in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, disciples, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen to me. 
th th this is just really important that you, you grasp this. Living the, the, the Christian life isn't, isn't an easy gig. Not easy. There are people out there who don't like you. They don't like what you stand for. They don't like the Bible. They don't believe in the Bible. There are people out there that will take all kinds of shots at you, call you all kinds of names. It's not easy to go out and live a God-honoring life. It's not easy to go out and, and, and live a life that honors Jesus Christ. It's not easy. When Jesus told the disciples, hey, guys, I want you to go out and tell people about me. I want you to tell them everything I've told you. I want you to encourage them to be obedient to it all. I want you to baptize them. Look, they all lost their lives except for one, and that was John, and his, his existence wasn't all that great. He was in a prison. It was very hostile to be a believer then. And so Jesus says, now listen, guys, I know your hearts are heavy. I know you're thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to pull this off. And he says, look, I'll be with you. I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, I'm with you. You're not going to do this alone. I'm with you. And that's a reality for all of us today. That the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And whatever it is you do, you're not going to do it alone. He's going to do it with you. He's with you. He's with you. And part of the transformation process is really understanding that truth. Then you get to number three. And this one's the tough one to, to grasp, okay? Okay. The third thing that God did was, yes, he gave a word of encouragement. Yes, he assured Gideon he was going to be with him. But then he tested Gideon's faith. He tested Gideon's faith. Look at verse 25. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, I want you to take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. I want you to pull down your father's altar to Baal. Baal was a, a, another god. And cut down the Asherah pole standing behind it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on the hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you just cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night. He's Barney Five still. Okay? Because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Now you need to remember that the story takes place during a time when Israel wasn't walking with God. In fact, they were worshiping all kinds of other gods. So God says, Gideon, here's the deal. Your daddy has an altar up there. It's been a part of your family for a long time. In fact, your family has gone up to that altar for years. And they've worshipped at that altar, that idol. I want you to go tear your daddy's altar down. Your family's altar down. The town's altar down. This is a test. He's encouraged him. Mighty warrior, I'm going to be with you. Now here's the first test. Go tear down that altar. And you know he was wrestling around with this thing because he did it at night. He got a little commando team together and said, okay, now here's the deal. Maybe nobody will notice. Let's sneak up, dress in black, tear the thing down. We'll build the other one, then we'll get out of there. And in the morning, no one will know it's us. Now, here's the beautiful thing. He still did it. He still passed the test. God wants to know who's more important to get in. His dad or him? Which one, get in? What's more important, get in? The traditions of your family? I know you guys have been going to that altar a long time. Or me. That's hard, isn't it? When God calls you maybe from 
out from under some religion that you and your family participated in for a long time and called you to worship the one true living God? I know people in our church who their families disowned them. That's kind of what's going on here. There's this huge test that's going on. God wants to know if Gideon's more concerned about what he thinks or is he more concerned about what his dad thinks. You see, God couldn't transform Gideon's life until he was ready to obey without question. Look, if you don't get anything else out of this message, get this. Before God will ever use you in a significant way, he'll test you to see if you really believe him. He'll test you. He'll test you to see if you really can be trusted. He's going to, he's going to do it. And I think we see at least three ways that God tested Gideon here in our little story. And I think these are the same three ways he tests us. Number one, God may test you spiritually. This is a test of who's going to be number one in your life. Exodus chapter 20 says, you must have no other gods but me. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. If you don't get the first one right, the other nine don't mean anything. God says, I don't want you to have any other God but me. I'm it. Jesus basically said the same thing when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said the greatest thing you could do with your life, the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. In other words, the first commandment. I was talking with a lady the other day, and she was telling me how her children were the number one thing in her life. And I said, oh, man, bad answer. I think, I've, I think I found out your problem in the first 20 seconds. Where's God? Oh, well, he's at least number two, right? Because your kids are number one. And I looked at her and said, God doesn't do number two very well. He doesn't want to be number two. He wants to be number one, and he deserves to be number one. And oftentimes, before God ever uses us, he puts us through a spiritual test. He wants to know, who, who, who's in control of your life? Who's number one in your life? Is it me? Or is it your spouse? Is it your job? Is it your career? What's really number one in your life? Second thing that God does is he may test you emotionally. Remember that the idol that Gideon cut down was his dad's. Ooh. I'm sure he loved his daddy. I'm sure him and dad went fishing all the time. I'm sure him and dad went hunting. I'm sure him and dad, you know, I don't know, rebuilt a car together, whatever they did back then. He loved his dad. And God just said, I want you to go tear down your dad's idol. Ooh. You think there were some emotions tied up in that? Uh, that's my dad's. I've seen him at that thing. He loves that thing. Our family's been going to that thing for years. My dad's passionate about that thing. You take care of that. As a side note, I think it's interesting that God made Gideon clean up his own home first before he sent him out to clean up the world. Before God's ever gonna use you in our children's ministries or use you in the youth ministries or use you as a singer or as a musician or whatever it is, you need to make sure your own home is cleaned up spiritually. That's probably the, the major problem with America today. There's lots of believers out there, but their own homes are a mess spiritually. There's not Baal, you know, Asherah poles in their homes, but there are other things in the home that are worshiped more than God. God. 
Before God was ever going to use Gideon, there was this test. There, it was a spiritual test, and there was an emotional test. Hey, get your own home cleaned up, Gideon. Before I'm going to use you to change the world, let's change your home. Let's start there. And the third test, God made test you physically. Verse 28 says this. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. And I'm sure Barney Fife was hiding behind a bush, listening to it. They know. They know. You know, and he's got his one bullet right here, thinking he might have to load up his gun. What's going to happen now, you know? The people said to each other, who did this? <laughs> and after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. This was a physical test, right? He, he could die. He knew it. You willing to give your life for me? God says to Gideon, am I number one in your life? <laughs> Get your home cleaned up. And uh, man, are you willing to give your life? Because that it may cost you your life, my friend. I don't know what the test is. All I know is this. Is oftentimes before God releases his power into your life, there's a test. You see, if you know the Lord, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. But just because the Holy Spirit's inside of you doesn't mean that you've got the power of God in you working. The power is released when you pass the test. When God knows, okay, you're number, I'm number one. You, 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 you've handled the test, and now I'll unleash my power and your life, to be a great musician, a singer, somebody who works in the children's ministry, somebody who mentors teenagers, somebody who's able to tell others about me, whatever it is. I think there's a, a great question here, and that is, how do you respond to testing? Do you get all cranky and, you know, irritable? Do you cuss God out and say, I'm not coming to church anymore, you know? Do you throw a pity party? Listen, how you handle testing in your life determines a lot of things. I think it determines whether the power of God is going to be released in your life. We saw that happen here at Big Valley Grace. A few years ago, this church was in a, a difficult place. And I think God gave us a great word of encouragement. I think he told us, hey, I'm with you guys. And then he said, okay, here's the test. There's a building out there I want you to buy. And I want you to buy it cash. It's going to be $1.5 million. What? Yeah. You trust me? Well, well of course we do. Cash? Yeah, and you only got a couple months to raise the money. And we got no money in the bank. And as soon as we went public with it, Rob Veneman sitting over here is one of our elders. As soon as we went public with the thing, that's when the whole uh, economy tanked. Woo! And literally, it, we, you, could, you could go back and when you saw the stock market crash and everything crash and the housing bubble crash, it was exactly when we stood up and said, hey, we need to raise $1.5 million in one offering in a couple of months. And we're going to buy that building out there cash because that's what God's called us to do. And we were just obedient to the Lord. Those were great days, weren't they, Rob? And I saw God unleash his power in our church in an incredible way after that. Some of you were a part of that. You were here. You saw it. You've experienced it. God encouraged us. God said, I'm going to be with you. And then he, then he put a test in front of us. The fourth thing that God did was he actually filled Gideon with his power which is what I've been talking about. Look at verse 33. It says, Soon afterwards, the armies of Midian and 
Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Israel of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. And what does he do? He's no longer down in the wine press. He gets up on top of the hill and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. And then the men of the clan of Abzir came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh and Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, summoning their warriors and all of them responded. Talk about transformation here. One moment he's down here doing this. He's at, you know, doing a night raid on his dad's, uh, you know, idol. And now God releases his power and now he's up on top of the hill, blowing a ram's horn. Hey, everybody, come on, we got to get together. We, we, we got we something we got to do here. And all these people start coming. Unbelievable what's happening here. God has now given him the power he needs to pull off the, the task. He's a leader now. Transformation has happened. The Spirit of God came on him. Literally in the Hebrew, it means the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. It's like God was saying, Gideon, I'm going to take over your body. Gideon now had the power he needed. He had the confidence he needed. He had the strength he needed. He had everything he needed now to take on this mighty army. Now, Now he's still a man. He's still a human. He still has a lot of growing to do. He's still going to battle his flesh. He's still got to battle his fears, and we're going to see that in a minute. But now God has filled him with his power. Look, let me ask you a question. Some of you, you're battling some things right now, and you need some power, don't you? Some of you need some some power to break some bad habit in your life. You need some power to overcome that alcohol addiction you've got. You need some power to overcome that narcotic addiction, that, 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 that porn thing you got going on in your life. You need, you need power to overcome your anger, right? You need power to stand up to that coworker that's always got something to say to you about you and your relationship with God. You need power to make your marriage work, right? You need power to be a witness for Jesus on your campus, right? Junior higher, high schooler, college student. You need power, don't you? Let me tell you how you get the power. You get the power when you simply pass the test, when you're obedient to God, when he calls you to do something and you just do it. Wow. Unbelievable how he unleashes his power in your life. The reason why some of you are still struggling, bless your souls, is because testing has come. And you've cursed God. I don't want to, I'm not doing it. I ain't gonna follow that. I ain't gonna do what you want me to do. You're still a believer. God's still out there encouraging you as best he can. He's assuring you, hey, I'm with you. But before I unleash my power, before I let it go in your life, I wanna know, am I number one in your life? Am I number one? And so he puts us through testing. Now, the fifth thing that, that God does when he changes a person's life is this, and this is my favorite one. I, I loved this one. Was he extends his grace to Gideon, though he didn't deserve it. He extends his grace to Gideon. Everybody look at verse 36. This is just unbelievable. This is the picture of God that I want you to have. Then Gideon said to God, God, if you truly are going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, you got to prove it to me. I'm going to put a wool fleece out on the threshing floor tonight, and if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel, as you promised. And that's just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Barney Five said to God, please, please don't be angry. But let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece one more time. This time let the fleece remain dry while it's on the ground around, while the ground around it's all wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Some of you had this impression of God. 
that is just angry. And if you don't follow him exactly, he's ready to thump you. It's almost like he's in the starting blocks. Okay, you know what I want now. You better, you better do it. You better do it or I'm on you. I'm going to be on you like a cheap suit. You better follow me. You better do it quickly. This, this is the God that I love to talk about because this is the God that's revealed in Scripture. Gideon says, hey, God, listen, um, I, got, I got one thing. Still a little nervous about this gig. I'm going to put this little rug down here, and I'm going to go to bed tonight. When I wake up tomorrow morning, I want that rug just to be all wet and everything around it dry, okay? Then I'll know. God could have said, you loser! I've had it with you. I can go get somebody else. Boy, did I mess up this mighty warrior thing. Did I mess up this hero thing? You're anything but that. I'm done with you. I got a whole lot of other people I can use. God doesn't do that. God says, Gideon, put it down. And Gideon wakes up, and man, that thing is just full of water. <laughs> hey, God. Let's do this again. But this time, make everything else wet and that little rug be dry. And God says, okay, Gideon. I think Gideon could have come back again and said, hey, God, listen, let's do the half and half thing. Half of it wet, half of it dry, half of the threshing floor wet, half of it dry. And I think God would have said, okay, Gideon. Whatever it takes. See, that's the God who extends grace when Gideon didn't deserve it. Every time you look at a cross, whether it be the cross earrings you put on, ladies, or you've got a cross around your neck, or you pull into this campus and you see a cross, or every time you drive by a church that has a cross, you look at that cross, and that cross says, I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. God says, I'm, I'm going to give you my son, my perfect and holy and righteous son, even though you're sinful. Even though you've mocked my son, even though you've mocked him and used his name in vain, he gives it as a gift to all of us. This is a beautiful picture of God right here. That he would extend this grace in such a beautiful way. Now look, I, I gotta wrap this up really quick. When you read the rest of Judges 6 and 7, you get to see the conclusion of the story, okay? And I wanna I want tell it to you really quick. Okay, Gideon has received this word of encouragement. He's received God's assurance that he was going to be with him. He's passed the test that God set before him. Gideon now has God's power, and Gideon has received a lot of, of grace along the way. All this to say that Gideon was now ready. He was a transformed leader. So he goes out and he blows his trumpet, and he rallies all these people together. And all these people came from all around. All these soldiers showed up here. It was like a, a militia. And there were 32,000 guys there. What's going on, Gideon? What's happening? And I'm sure Gideon looked at these 32,000 men and went, oh, no. Because right on the other side of the valley was 135,000 bad guys. The Midianites were bad, evil, wicked people. They had really good guns and really big bullets and good tanks. I mean, they were vicious. And here's Gideon with, you know, 32,000 guys with you know, spears that were broken, you know, and duct taped together. You know, hey, what we... And God said to Gideon, Gideon, I know you think we got trouble here, but it's going to get worse for you because you've got too many people. I want you to shrink the ranks down. 32,000 is too many. So this is what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to go stand in front of those 32,000 men and I want you to say, listen, if, if any of you are scaredy cats, if you're afraid, you can, you can leave right now and go home. And I'm sure Gideon just poured it on. Hey, you know, God's gonna be with us. And, and so he says, but if you're scared, you can leave. And the Bible says 22,000 left. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Gideon's going, ah, ah, what are you 
And now he's stuck with 10,000 guys. I'm sure he's thinking, oh, God, you got this thing all messed up, man. And God says, no, Gideon, I don't have it messed up, but I want you to know that's still too many. You got too many guys. You see, Gideon, if you have too many guys, you're going to think it's all about you. You're going to think it's all about how good you are. And this isn't about how good you are. This is about how great I am. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to take those 10,000 men down to a river, a little pond, and I want you all to tell them, get a drink. And whoever bends over like this and gets on, you know, all fours and <laughs> sticks their head into the water, those are out. The guys that bend down on one knee and drink the water like this, they're in. And so I'm sure Gideon was going, Lord. <laughs> there were only 300 guys that went down on one knee and went like this. The rest of them all leaned over. And so Gideon said, guys, go home. And now he's stuck with these 300 guys. Broken arrows, you know. And then God says, now here's, here's the deal. I'm gonna give you the tools you need here to win this battle, Gideon. This is what I want you to do. I want you to give every one of these 300 guys a torch. And then I want you to give them a, a clay pot. And I'm sure Gideon was going, okay, and when do you hand out the M16s? When, when, when do we get the firepower? You don't, you don't need any of that. Just give everybody a torch and give everybody a clay pot. And so Gideon gave all 300 of these guys a torch and a clay pot. And then God said, this is what I want you to do. Tonight, when they're all sleeping, they're all down in that little valley down there, 135,000 bad motor scooters, man. They got sharp, you know, swords and spears. I want you to put your 300 guys all around them. You separate them out. All 300, I want you to be around them. Pitch black. I want you to light the torches, and I want you to put those clay jars on top of those torches. And then, Gideon, once you've got all your men all around, this is what I want you to do. You're going to yell out, for the Lord and for Gideon! And when you yell that out, I want all the guys to break those clay pots and just stand there. <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> no, no, keep, that's it, Gideon. Just do what I tell you to do. So Gideon sends those 300 guys out. The Bible says they were all around. Pitch dark. No, no street lamps back then. Just pitch dark. The guys were all, you know, sleeping and hanging out and in la-la land, just dreaming. And all those soldiers were all gathered around up on top of that hill. And there came a moment when God said, okay, Gideon, yell. And Gideon yelled, for the Lord and for Gideon! And all the guys smashed their clay pots. And I'm sure that made all kinds of noise, 300 clay pots all being smashed. I'm sure some of the guys woke up. And they looked around, and all they could see were 300 lights. And back in those days, you know, one light could have meant a whole regiment of men. And they're all looking around, and they're all pulling out their swords, and now they're, oh, who looked at me? Ah! And the Bible says over 100,000 Midianites just killed themselves. As all these guys were standing up there probably going, that's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> now, in my brain, you know, I see old Barney Fife, it's all over with its morning. <sighs> Walking down there amongst the camp. One trusty bullet, you know, yeah. Took care of these Midianites. <laughs> Took care of them good. Don't mess with me anymore. Unbe it's an unbelievable story. Obviously, something supernatural took place because that's the kind of God that we serve. We serve a, a supernatural God, and we saw that supernatural God show up here when he gave us that offering. He's still doing miracles today. All he says is, listen, <laughs> I see something in your life you don't see. I'm going to be with you. Look, just, just follow me when I test you. I'll, I'll give you my power and I'll extend grace along the way. That's how life transformation happens. You see, the Bible says 
This in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Yes, he had a plan for Gideon's life, but listen to me, beloved. He's got a plan for your life too. You're no different than Gideon. And some of you are, are out there and you got to the top of the hill and you're trusting the Lord with your life and God's doing amazing things for you. But this whole series has been about helping some of you See that you don't have to be at the bottom of the hill in a wine press. That God wants to transform your life. He wants to take you and make you into a mighty warrior for him. A leader for him. Somebody who does incredible things for him. And maybe today is the, the, the day when, when that starts. I'm going to ask you, if you're over in the venue, stand up. Why don't you stand up in here? And I just want everybody to close their eyes. And in just a moment, Scott's going to Pray over in the venue and just close your eyes for a second. Man, when I, when I think about this church family and I speak for all the pastors, I speak for the elders of this church, man, there's just incredible potential in here. Incredible. I think the greatest days of Big Valley Grace are but ahead of it. Because I really believe that a lot of you are going to go, you know what, I don't want to be at the bottom of this wine press anymore. I don't want to be afraid and scared. I think, I think today is going to be a great day in many of your lives. I believe that. God sees something far more in your life than you do. Scott, would you come up and would you pray for us?